At the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, our House of Corrections is a no-stigma zone. Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm an Assistant Deputy Superintendent at the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, where we recognize addiction as a disease often rooted in childhood trauma or mental illness. We support, treat, and transition the people in our care with patience and understanding. More importantly, there is no stigma in our house, and I hope you make your house a no-stigma zone, too. For more information on where you can find help, visit opioidtaskforce.org. The ideas and opinions expressed in this show do not reflect the views of WHMP or Saga Communications. This show may contain subject matter not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Holding yourself accountable is how you move mountains within your growth. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and each week we're here to share stories, not just from current or formerly justice-involved individuals, but even those who might be considered underdogs in the game of life, because all of them are hustling to put their past in the rearview mirror and start anew. And of course, it takes a village, like the people we interview every week who are behind the wall, behind the scenes, and part of the resources and opportunities that are helping those carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. This is the Hustler Files. Welcome everyone to this week's The Hustler Files. I'm excited to have in studio today from the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, Lieutenant Jamie Paremba and Caroline Bruno. And I'm going to start with Jamie. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on who you are and what you do for the Franklin County Sheriff's Office? Uh, I've been at the Franklin County Sheriff's Office for 19 years. I started back in 2004 when they had the old jail, as they called it. Prior to getting the approval for funding to build the new jail and the new facility, I transitioned into the new facility, working various different posts as a correctional officer. I got promoted to sergeant, and I was a 3 to 11 sergeant for a little while. And then with Sheriff Donnellan, he created the position of called correctional caseworkers, which is a dual role where you're kind of bridging a gap between the correctional staff and programming. You're also co-facilitating groups, but also part of the security team and correctional officers. From there, I got promoted to doing unit management, which you oversee different housing units. I have overseen the various different housing units through my time being lieutenant and unit manager. Currently, most recently, I'm overseeing the minimum Kimball house, which is our minimum and our pre-release work release. And it's interesting, we were just chatting before we started the show. That's not a halfway house, correct? Correct. That's not a halfway house. And the Franklin County Sheriff's Office does not have a halfway house within their realm. We do not. We do not run a halfway house. Okay. But there are halfway houses in Franklin County. Yep. Yeah, we have programs that we can do referrals for the guys too. And women, both. And so the reason you're here today is to talk about your pre-release work release programs because we haven't touched on that in this new partnership with Franklin County. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So... One of the biggest barriers that our clientele tend to have in getting back into society and the community is housing and employment. So if we can connect them with employment and they have a source of income for when they get out and they can be stabilized before they get out and have something to rely on in a regular schedule and get used to that, then it just helps them with their success. It's been around, we've been doing this for many, many years. My predecessor actually for over 10 years, the woman that was running the work release prior to me, we were always looking for employers in our area within Franklin County that are willing to hire individuals who have uh, quarries. There's also sometimes a work opportunity tax credit that people can be eligible for, or the businesses can be eligible for, for hiring people who have quarries. 
So for the edification of our listeners, what is a quarry? So anybody who has like a criminal background, any criminal charges or things that are going to show up on a background check? So I know that the ban the box has been in place for a really long time on employment applications. But do you still run into that in Franklin County with employers in that area that where someone would fill out an application and they still have to check if they've had some kind of a background in, you know, behind the wall? We run into that more with corporations. So when looking at your agencies, like your big box stores, they tend to have corporate has standards where they won't accept people. So we have better success getting in our individuals place with like local or small owned and operated companies. How do you approach these business owners to ask them to participate in this fair chance hiring? Because we've had this conversation on the show multiple times about fair chance hiring. And that is sort of the new terminology against the second chance hiring that was so commonly used. I've had Mel O'Leary from Meredith Springfield on the show where he talks about for 20 plus years, he has been hiring formerly incarcerated men and women via the Hamden County. And I know the Hampshire Sheriff's Office also has a few local businesses. We've had Jeffrey Korsanek on the show. He's a national investment banker who wrote a book called Untapped Talent. We've had him on the show because he sees the future of our employee shortage coming from the formerly incarcerated population. And we just have to educate people. So when you first go to approach a local business about hiring someone who's coming back into society, how do you approach it? First off, we really try to empower the clients themselves by having them put together a resume, really putting themselves out there. So we start with them kind of advocating for themselves. I'm the support that once they get to the point of, yes, the business has agreed to give them an interview, that's when I meet with the employer to go over any questions or concerns that they have, any answers, just like explain our program to them and what our rules and expectations are. We can't obviously disclose like what the individuals are in there for. It's up to the individuals if they're hired, what they disclose or don't disclose to the potential employer. But yeah, we just try to support the individual as like, well, they're, when they're starting the employment with us, that's guaranteed that that individual is going to show up every day, you know, because we're going to get them there. We have a driver, we bring them. So it's not like you're going to get somebody who's going to be calling out sick or unreliable because we have, they have to like be seen by medical and really ill in order to not go to work. They're obviously act, not actively using, you know, if, that, if substance use is an issue for them. So they're pretty stable, the most stable that they, most of them have been. So the work release is exactly what it sounds like, where they're working through the reentry finalization piece of their incarceration, but they're still still coming back to the jail every night to go to sleep and have their meals. So that offers some semblance of security for an employer. Yes. Yeah. Our um, So our work release, or it's also called pre-release, is actually they live in what used to be the old sheriff's quarters of the old jail. So it's a house. And they set up kind of dorm style where they have a couple of them living in each room. They have their own kitchen, uh, like a shared living room. And so, yeah, they're set up in a house where they start doing like their own laundry and things that they haven't been doing when they were like behind the wall incarcerated, like higher security, getting them back in touch, like everyday tasks, such as like making meals or doing their laundry, getting their self together, like getting up and going to work. They also attend meetings in the community so they can get reconnected with recovery supports. They can get connected um, with agencies for like therapy and counseling. We start getting them out into the community because they're very close to being out 
with zero supervision, some of them. Some of them might be probation, so they might still have some level of supervision, but a lot of them are just getting out soon to no supervision. So how do they know where to look for and reach out to potential employers? My understanding is they don't have access to the internet. They don't have any unsupervised access to the internet. We do now have um, the Community Justice Support Center down on Main Street in Greenfield, which just recently opened. We had a grant through, I believe, Office of Community Corrections, and that now they go to programming there, and they also have employee experts, like employment experts there that help them job seek. So they can do internet searches when they're with staff or with somebody that's assisting them with that. So that's a hu- been a huge piece to help these guys and girls also again, because the women also can do work release. So it's been helpful in helping them find jobs. Also, we do have from my predecessor, like I said, she was doing this for 10 years. She has like a list of certain agencies and corporations and places that commonly will work with us. So is that the starting point that from that initial list? Can be, yeah. I mean, also temp agencies. We have two local temp agencies that actually have been really good supports for us as well. Oh, that's interesting. I never think anymore that temp agencies are still in business all these many years later as we've evolved into the internet and Indeed and ZipRecruiter and and all of that. What is your success rate? Do you know the percentage of currently incarcerated that you're able to place into the work release program? I'm newer to this position. Again, I just started this position in May, though I've been at the jail for 19 years. So I don't really know. I don't have like a baseline for that yet of what statistically we have for success on that. Well, how many clients are actually in the work release at any given time? So right now, I have six individuals that are currently working in the community. We have, on average, I'd say our population is about 150 total. But given that a high percentage of that is pre-trial individuals who come and, you know, come and go, come and go from the courts. So it's only individuals who are sentenced and then complete like enough of their sentence and get to and have good behavior that they get to step down in security and get over to the lowest level of security for pre-release and work release. And this is a stepping stone program, I'm presuming, because, you know, they're trying to get back on their feet. They find a job. It gives them some income, some cash flow to, to start moving forward. But what do you think could be improved upon in these work release programs? Is it that we just need more employers to understand the value of the fact that people incarcerated aren't forever bad people? Or is it we just need broader reach in the employment community so that there's more opportunities? I think with our area in Franklin County, because again, with us, they do have to work within Franklin County, so we can't go outside of those boundaries. We're limited by what we have for employers, first off. Secondly, our own kind of restrictions about because they are still incarcerated and they're still serving time, we have restrictions and stipulations on when they can work. So I know there's some places like factory jobs that they want them to do like, you know, like 11 to 7. We don't allow for that, for them to be gone overnight. So those are some of the stipulations or things that restrict some of that for us. Do you find that the employers you're working with are willing to do this, but they want to do it on the QT? Like they don't want it to be promoted, like the way Mel promotes it at Meredith. I mean, he even promotes it with his Fortune 100 clients all over the country, and they're always all fascinated in this work release, or actually it's after work release, the hiring process and his success rate. But there are a lot of individual employers that don't want to be out in people's faces saying, hey, I'm hiring formerly incarcerated. Yeah. So that's part of like on our end, we always, when we're dropping people off or we have drivers who are civilians who take these people to work and pick them up. Same thing if I actually do stop in visits 
I always go in plain clothes. I never go in uniform. We want them to be able to have that level of discretion if they want people that they do business with to know or not that they have somebody who's currently incarcerated working for them. Do you see a lot of success on the back end, like when they're finally released and they stay with that business? Or do they seem to, again, just use it as a stepping stone and then move on to another business? Because they can leave the Franklin County area, correct, at that point? Correct. So that's one of the things we try to take into consideration when we're working with an employer is one, the employer's need and two, the client's plan for when they leave. So if we have right now have somebody who's working and he knows that he's leaving the area when he gets out, he's working at a place that they only wanted somebody temporary for a few months. So that's like that kind of that piece, that puzzle of Jigsaw putting it together of what works for the employer. What are they looking for? Are they looking for somebody that they want long term and they're looking to hire somebody full time? Or are they just looking for a temporary individual for seasonal work? So it's putting the right client with the right employer also is a part of it. I never get tired of this conversation because it really, it's something I'm very passionate about that there are some really good people out there and they made one mistake and to not re-employ them when we have such a shortage of employees at so many different levels of businesses and industries in this country. So this is a conversation we're going to keep going with. But right now we need to take a quick break. I want to come back and switch over to Caroline Bruno. So everybody sit tight, go get a second cup of coffee. We'll be right back with this week's The Hustler Files. Under the leadership of Sheriff Patrick Kayleen, the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office offers medication-assisted treatment for those struggling with opioid addictions. This is Mindy Cady, Director of Medication for Opioid Use Disorders. We want you all to know that we provide community-based support and referral services with our partners at the Northampton and Ware Recovery Centers. If you or someone you know is living with alcohol or drug addiction or just simply need some direction, we're here and we're happy to help. Stop by or find us at HampshireSheriffs.com. And we are back to this week's The Hustler Files. If you're just joining us, we're knee-deep into the work release programs with Lieutenant Jamie Paremba of the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. Before we jump over to the educational side with Caroline Bruno, I just wanted to finish up a conversation we were having during the break that there are some vocational pieces to what is available to these men and women through the Sheriff's Office. Yes, we have a great relationship with Greenfield Community College and some other local agencies that we can provide different educational vocational trainings. One of them that we tend to do at least yearly is the foundational manufacturing, which helps prep these individuals for on their resume to be able to work at like a factory job. It has a lot of math and science to it that they do. We also commonly do the OSHA 10, which is another thing that they can put on their resume. We do also, when they get down to lower security and our minimum, they can be out in our auto detailing shop, which I know people in the community, you know, love to get their cars detailed with us. But yeah, the guys do it for at least six month commitment and they get a certificate for that as well, that then they can go work somewhere in the, in the community doing auto detail. That's really wonderful. And I'm really happy to hear that the Franklin County Sheriff's Office has these other vocational pieces to what you're offering. So let's switch over to the educational side. Um, we have with us today and, and Caroline Bruno. I appreciate you sitting patiently waiting because now we're going to get knee deep in food and vegetables. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. So why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Yeah, it's great to be here and listen to this conversation and join you here. So my name's Caroline, and I run the garden program at the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. We have had a garden program since 2015, 
uh, but I just started in the fall. So this will be my first full outdoor season. And I got started farming and working with food when I was in college. And soon after, I worked on my first farm actually in Hawaii, which is extremely different in so many ways from here. Lots of pineapples. <laughs> yeah, yes. And ginger and you know all the tropical fruits that actually pique a lot of the interest of the students that I'm working with now. But I moved back to Massachusetts a couple years ago and have been working in educational farms and, and community gardens at one through the sustainability office at Williams College and also worked on a farm here in the valley two summers ago. So coming back to food and this area, I'm originally from the Northeast. And so it's it's nice to be back in the Connecticut River Valley and growing food in, in a place where it feels extremely important and a wonderful place and way to connect with people who are otherwise spending a lot of their time indoors. So how does the Food to Families program work at the jail? So the garden program has a number of on-site gardens that residents incarcerated are able to work in. And throughout the summer, as we harvest produce, flowers, vegetables, fruit, and herbs, that is being distributed through a farm share, which we're calling the Food to Families program. And actually today is the first day, and it'll be a weekly share of whatever's ready to eat and harvest from the garden all the way through the summer and into the fall. So these are gardens that are on the property of the jail. Are they totally in ground or are they sort of built up, you know, with the two by fours? I mean, how, how are the gardens set up? Yeah, there's a series of raised beds that are available to the women's unit, to the men who are in Kimball House, which we were just hearing about in the pre-release program. There's also a large area outside of raised beds that's growing a really large amount of food that's for the men who are in the medium security treatment unit. So each different population at the jail has available gardens for them to work in as long as they've been sentenced to the jail. And so we have a mixture of those raised beds and in-ground, but we're building up soil and adding compost and focusing a lot on learning about how to grow food sustainably. So is there a classroom component to the gardening program? Yeah, so the delight that I have is that outdoors is our classroom. Each day I, I have about two classes where we'll spend time out in the gardens and spend the first 20 minutes or so of class talking about a garden concept, something that we're going to talk about and learn about, and then put that into action as we weed or harvest or plant or seed or transplant or water and what's growing that day. The garden program is year-round, so I'm in the winter unable to be working with folks outside, but have the opportunity to have indoor classes that focus on sort of zooming out, looking at the global food system and why we might want to be growing food locally. We also talk about herbalism and ways for people to support their health through collaborating with plants. And in the past, there have been a wide range of offerings that relate to starting a farm business, joining or creating a cooperative as a way to learn about and then also having a cooperative business, which would be an opportunity for turning this learning about food into an opportunity once they get out in a in a more structured way. And this program is not part of pre-release, correct? It's for gentlemen who are fully sentenced and are serving their time. Yes, the garden program is available to anyone who's been sentenced. And the indoor classes are particularly available to those who haven't been sentenced, who are here, who are at the jail awaiting their trial. They're able to join me for indoor classes as well. Now, what's a typical class size look like? Usually we have a class of about 10 or 11 men. The women's unit at the jail is much smaller, so it's usually about 10% of the population will come out and join me in the garden. For the women, that's more about four or five. 
and for the men usually 10 and I max it out at 10 with just a little bit of projects to do and conversations to have that's a good size. So is this strictly just starting from seed and growing the food and the herbs and and all of that? Or do you get involved in other things like drainage systems and running tubing for watering and other pieces that might become part of more of a landscape architecture component? Yeah, we discuss a lot of the reasons why we might grow certain things and with them based on companion planting or succession planting to increase the yield in a small space. We aren't able to do any irrigation or anything like that, uh, but we do also focus a lot on building up soil as the baseline for a healthy and sustainable garden or farm that then could inform their either at-home garden when they get out, any kind of work they might do in the agricultural fields, or just having more curiosity about what's actually around them all the time when they're, when they're out in the community. And do you provide reading materials um, as part of the educational process where they can back in their cells, they can read about, or their dormitories, they can read about, you know, food processing and agriculture and and all the different components that you're doing hands-on out in the beds? Yeah, we, a lot of the indoor classes we would read together in class. It's an opportunity to combine what a lot of my colleagues in the education department are working on. It's just, just becoming a more conversant reader and a more capable writer. Um, so having a subject area that someone's interested in, like agriculture, food, farming, and applying those reading and writing skills to it is a is a great opportunity for that. And then one really popular class right now is the herbalism class, and we usually will have readings about one particular herb or think how we can think about our health in a more systemic and holistic way. And then I'll bring in some herbs that are growing here at the garden and We'll talk about them, we'll smell them, we'll taste them, we'll try them in tea, and we'll see how do we feel afterwards. Um, And then we'll often read from trained herbalists um, information about how that herb has been known to affect and collaborate with our health system to support us more holistically. That's wonderful. I I love that because herbalism is such a part of our current society and, and people are always talking about different herbs and what works and what doesn't and what it interacts with and all of that. This is such an interesting conversation. Do you find that your students are really passionate about this? I mean, is are these the type of people that, you know, they come out, they get their hands dirty, they start composting and doing everything they're doing and putting manure into the beds and all that you're doing, and they really just, they're energized by it, that you see a change in their, almost a change in their personalities? I think people are coming with a really wide range of already existing experience with food, farming, gardening. Franklin County is a, a pretty rural county, one that does have a huge history and current cultural presence. And so some people will tell stories about how they grew up on a farm. So this is a way for them to reconnect with and remember how central this has been in their lives. For other people, this might be the first time they've actually gotten their hands dirty. Uh, so I think that wide range and having them together in the same space and really learning from each other is something that this, this space can create. So before we run out of time, I just, last question on the, the garden program. So you grow all this food, does it go back into the jail kitchens to be used in the meals for the incarcerated individuals? Or I think I heard somewhere that you also bag up the different fruits and vegetables and herbs and you give them to the community. Can you kind of walk us through that? 
So just sort of arrived into big harvest season. The last couple months of work has is really paying off. And so we are beginning the weekly pickups for all of the fruits, vegetables, herbs, and flowers that are growing so that we can distribute them to the families and loved ones. Food to Families program offers 15 people the opportunity to pick up that abundance at the jail and bring it home to their kitchens. And the participants in that program are the family and loved ones of the people who have been working in the gardens and growing the food. So that's the primary way that that food is coming from the fields, from coming from the garden and getting appreciated. Of course, when most students walk out into class, they'll run over and see if there are strawberries that have, that have ripened or we'll have a salad in class. Of course, we're early in the season. We haven't even found the tomatoes. They'll be here in a couple more weeks. But the food is primarily going to the loved ones and family members of those who are incarcerated here. That is so compelling. I love that. I got goosebumps. You know, like that's that piece that you say, wow, like you're behind the wall and you're trying to learn something new and you're trying to write what went wrong in your life. And yet you're able to create something and grow something that you can give back to your family because you can't be there with them on a daily basis. I think that's just so wonderful. Yeah. And I do think while a lot of what we've talked about has been about what is it that they're able to learn about farming and gardening, I think it's also really a venue for learning about themselves and learning about how to work with people and how to see themselves in this new light as someone who's capable of learning a new thing and succeeding at it. Well, we are sadly out of time. I want to thank you, Caroline and Jamie, for stopping by today and talking about these different programs through the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. We hope that there are other people out there listening in other parts of the country or around the world that will hear about a garden program and maybe implement it in their state jail or prison, that that's an opportunity for them and the vocational programs, Jamie, and the employer piece of the Fair Chance hiring. So thank you both so much for stopping by today. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having us. And we will be right back. Don't touch that dial. At the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, our House of Corrections is a no-stigma zone. Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm an Assistant Deputy Superintendent at the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, where we recognize addiction as a disease often rooted in childhood trauma or mental illness. We support, treat, and transition the people in our care with patience and understanding. More importantly, there is no stigma in our house, and I hope you make your house a no-stigma zone, too. For more information on where you can find help, visit opioidtaskforce.org. And we are back. Before we get into our final thoughts for today, I want to give a big shout out to Sheriff Chris Donnellan for sharing Caroline and Jamie with us today to take a look at some of the programs that his office offers in Franklin County. So once again, I have pulled from the files of Brianna Weiss. She says, a beautiful life is not stumbled upon, it is built. It is chosen. It is nurtured over the years. A beautiful life is made from the heart, not the head. It is not one we can rationalize our way into. It's one that must be felt. A beautiful life is not one that is immediately comfortable, but one grown through the acknowledgement of what is worth being uncomfortable for. It is not one that is easy. It is one that is worth it. 
And that's another wrap for this week. It is my hope that all these stories that we share release limiting beliefs around addiction, incarceration, and the stigmas that follow those who are re-entering society hoping for a new lease on life. I sincerely believe that it's only through our storytelling and education that we can activate any kind of change. I want to thank our guests and advertisers for their continuing support. If you'd like to reach out to me with any questions, you can email me at lisa at whmp.com. Please have a wonderful week ahead. And remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. See you next week right here on The Hustler Files. You became an RN, LPN, mental health clinician, counselor, or recovery professional because you believe in the value of wellness, treatment of disease, and prevention of illness. And that also means that you have the right stuff to join the medical and mental health care team at the Hamden County Sheriff's Office. Making the world a better place takes a village, and even more so with justice-involved individuals. So why not consider dedicating your next career move to changing countless lives for the better? Visit hcsoma.org. That's hcsoma.org to join the team today.